Okay, as in go. Sorry, one second. Fork Tales, a podcast that feeds the food and beverage world. Oh, awesome. Fortales is brought to you by Vigor, a branding and marketing agency for passion-driven, innovative restaurant, beverage, and hospitality brands. Learn more at vigorbranding.com. If you love what we're serving up, please give Fortales a five-star review on your podcast service of choice. Think of it as a tip for good service. Hey everyone, today I am joined by Paul Macaluso. He is the president and CEO of Another Broken Egg. And if you've been on the internet, uh, specifically social media, you've probably seen his name a few times. Uh, so I'm really excited to have him on the show. Paul, say hello and give people a little background on you. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here and, uh, and join the group. And, and uh, yeah, I've been in the industry almost 30 years now. It's kind of hard to believe it's flown by. It's all I've ever done since college. Uh, the restaurant business, and I've uh, been with this company. Uh, I joined it actually in November of 19, so four, four months before the pandemic started. It's an amazing brand. Uh, yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that uh, the last year or so. But uh, yeah, I've been in the industry in my whole career. I've done a variety of different roles across uh, across the industry. I actually started off as a general manager uh, at Taco Bell. I was there for 10 years, really early in my career. So uh, seen a lot. I uh, had never seen anything like the last year, though, so... Um, uh, we've definitely learned a lot and, and, and pivoted and look forward to talking about that. Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine that feeling, uh, taking the reins, uh, you know, stepping up to the helm, really excited about this new brand and the p- pandemic. You know, you're just all of a sudden like, oh, well, this isn't going to be as great as I thought it was. <laughs> what a challenge yeah, I mean, for a leader. In the middle of, you know, moving my family and everything, relocating. So there was a lot, you know, going on, a lot of uncertainty. You know, the first time I ever worked in a full service brand as well. So Spent some time with QSR brands and fast casual brands. Full service uh, was quite different, and um, that presented its own unique challenges. So, yeah, it's been. It's, I've learned a lot in the last year and a half for sure. Yeah, I mean, um, so looking at another broken egg today versus when you took uh, took over and and uh, stepped up to the helm, like I said, some would think that, it, or maybe it would be very um, excusable if things weren't doing so well right now. But that is far from the case. Um, so not only is another broken egg rebounded, uh, you guys are thriving. And so tell me a little bit about the, the secret sauce to that. What are some yeah. things that you did during the pandemic and coming out of it that have you in this great place right now? Yeah, it's, it's really been an amazing journey and uh, very proud of the team and, and, and the brand. I mean, the brand, if, if, you know, if people aren't familiar with the brand, we, we've always had amazing food and, and, and the brunch concept, you know, is always kind of a a lot of people's favorite, right? No, you know, not, not too many people don't like brunch, right? So, you know, we're, we're open from seven to two. We've got really great high quality food. And, uh, but prior to the pandemic, you know, it was really about the experience uh, of being in the restaurants. And so our to-go business was like 2% of sales. It wasn't even a big deal. <clears throat> we didn't do a lot of third-party delivery. We didn't do a lot of premise. Uh, very different than other brands I had been with the last few years. But because I had those relationships with those companies and had that experience, once we had the shutdowns and diners were closed, we had uh, at, th- at that point we had seventy cafes and all but four of them closed. We just kept four open, just four of the company ones, just to try some stuff. Yeah. We tried dinner meals, we tried you know uh, family size meals, we tried state 
do a dinner, you know, late, stay open later for late lunch, dinner. We tried a toilet paper promotion, you know, <laughs> we couldn't could find toilet paper. Um, and so, uh, but we knew we had to get, you know, into off premise. And we were fortunate for two things. One, people really loved our food. They just wanted it, even though they couldn't come in and get it. They, they were willing to get it to go. So we started doing third party delivery within a couple of weeks. We started doing our own online ordering portal through, uh, through Olo, which I had a previous relationship with them. We got that going very quickly. And so all of a sudden, we started seeing, you know, a decent part of our business maintaining, at least to keep our employees employed. You know, we really mm-hmm. we weren't really thinking we were going to make a ton of money doing it, but we wanted to keep our managers employed. And so we were able to do that, those company cafes, and that had some franchisees come up with some ideas. They started doing some things. So, you know, now, we, you know, let's get to last September and we're able to start opening up again. We have a lot of patios, which also helped us quite a bit, you know, people want to be outside. Yeah. And so, um, get to the other side of like September, even when we were at 50% capacity, we started having positive same store sales versus a year ago. So even though it was 50% capacity, we are seeing our business Monday through Friday higher we're seeing more to go. Uh, now it's about 15% of our sales, even now, you know, into April, May. So, wow. uh, so that's, that's been great. You know, it probably wouldn't have been something we would have done. Uh, we were growing. Our traffic was growing. Our, our uh, stores were growing. We probably wouldn't have really dug deep into off-premise and thought it was anything to really focus on. Now, it's a meaningful part of our business. So uh, just last period, uh, period four, which, which just ended a few weeks ago, we were uh, our system, all of our stores versus 2019, because, again, we're not comparing anything to 2020. We're pretty much closed. But versus 2019, we were up 25%. Wow. So we've really uh, incrementally changed our business and uh, you know, had our best month of profitability across the board. Franchisees are, our existing franchisees are looking for new sites to develop. So there's a lot of positive energy about the brand right now. We'll get back to the show in just one minute. But first, to say the restaurant industry is tough would be a gross understatement. It takes a certain kind of leader to create and scale successful restaurant brands. The kind of leader willing to grab the bull by the horns. But what does that look like? That's exactly what I cover in my new book, The Bullhearted Brand building bullish restaurant brands that charge ahead of the herd. In The Bullhearted Brand, I deliver profound, inspirational truisms through the lens of multicultural fables, folklore, and real-life stories where bulls play a heroic role. I couple these stories with first-hand experiences of good, bad, and ugly branding and marketing to deliver applicable, strategic thinking and knowledge. I'm kickstarting the book's publication to cover the cost of production and launch. On the Kickstarter page, you can pledge at different levels and receive bullhearted gear, from super awesome Raglan t-shirts to limited edition hand-signed and numbered lithograph prints of the collage illustrations inspired by those bull stories. Please visit the Kickstarter page and support the project via a pledge, a social media share, or both. Now, back to the show. Yeah, I have to imagine, um, I'm not trying to kiss the rear or anything, but the uh, I presume aboard interviewed you and, and put you in place, correct? Yes. Yeah. They have got to be self-high-fiving right now because they put a guy who has like a lot of experience with off-premise sales right. in a role. Little did they know how critical right. that would be. Um, but the the um, the menu itself, I mean, breakfast is really hard to travel. Uh, how did you yeah. start cracking that nut? I mean, like eggs yep. can quickly turn cold and bad. Yeah. Um, you know, we... Yeah. 
you know, we do uh, we do sell quite a bit of eggs and omelets and things like that. But actually, some of our best sellers are brunch type items like chicken and waffles, or shrimp and grits. Those travel really well. Uh, but we did have to make some real investments in packaging. Like we do sell a lot of Benedicts, and so we, we're you know, you know kind of technical, but we're kind of a separate container for the egg Benedict part of the whatever, and then you kind of rebuild it when you get home. Because yeah, to your point, it, it, the eggs are tricky, and yeah. um, and so we did have to make some investments in our packaging and make sure you know we're delivering that high quality product that people are used to when they come into cafe. Are you experiencing? Um, this might be more anecdotal than database, but. Uh, so, so do you think or do you feel that people's leniency and understanding with quality of product um, is better or, or more in favor or more favorable? I would say because with an eggs Benedict, I mean, hell, that's mm-hmm. hard to execute on on site, let alone travel. Right. Yeah, definitely. I think people were uh, were very lenient with us and, and and a lot of other brands. You know, just wanting us to succeed, wanting to give, you know, wanting to help us. I mean, yeah. we, had, we had, you know, our biggest thing was trying to let people know when we were reopening, right? Because, you know, every store and every jurisdiction and every city was slightly different in terms of what the rules were, when you could open, when you couldn't. And so we had a lot of people just reaching out to us like, hey, you know, when you guys are going to reopen? So, yeah, I definitely think people were, were very supportive of the brand, very lenient. We, we even had uh, people ask if they could just buy gift cards, even though we weren't reopened yet, just because they wanted to support us. So, yeah, I think, the, I think that will taper off and it already started has started tapering off you know people are now their expectations are coming back look i'm paying good money um yeah you know i want i want my expectation so so uh you know we're seeing that and now obviously we're having some labor shortages as everyone is so there's a new you know challenge not quite to the level of last year's challenges for sure but definitely uh, making sure you know that we're giving people their money's worth and giving great service that's a key part of our brand is giving great service and making sure the food's coming out you know quickly from the kitchen so uh, those are those are challenges now that we're, that we're very focused on. Yeah, and it, we'll hop into labor in a second because that is going to be a a nut to crack open. Um, what what role did alcohol sales uh, have on 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 sales overall? And um, I guess you know because another broken egg has a larger footprint. How how did you mitigate um, where alcohol could be sold off prem versus not? Yeah. I'm presuming that some places wouldn't allow it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been a big part of the brand. You know, the brand started in '96, just outside of New Orleans. So, you know, a couple of things: the the menu is very influenced by New Orleans because of the seafood. We have a lot of seafood on the menu, and because of the alcohol, we have we have full bars. Uh, is a big part of our mix. And um, but you know, it's interesting. In certain cities, it was a bigger part of sales than other parts. And and but what what we found is, you know, with the flexibility of people working from home, um, and maybe just the stress of you know everything that everyone's had to go through. Our alcohol sales have really been on the on the uptick. So, give you a couple of data points. Uh, back in 2013, um, we were looking at this. So we or we had we crossed like five percent sales with alcohol, and then 2018 we were like seven percent. So right now we're at about 15 percent of sales. So our, our alcohol sales have just taken off. And then and, that's uh, five five zero. You said 50? Uh, 15, 15. Oh, 15, 15. 15. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So almost doubled from seven, a little over seven, seven to fifteen percent. Uh, some stores, some cafes in certain areas are over twenty. And oh, wow. uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, we actually it's interesting because we have a type of liquor license where you can't really get above thirty, or you're not considered a restaurant anymore. So we're kind of like, oh, you know, wonder if we're going to have that problem. But but it's 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 mostly food that we're selling. Um, but the interesting thing is that. Of how that's happened. So Monday through Thursday, sale of uh, sales of alcohol is up over forty percent. 
So it's not just the weekend where people are normally drinking. Now they're drinking earlier in the week or more earlier in the week. Maybe people have some flexibility of where they're working from. So they're going out for brunch and having a cocktail. And yeah. hey, we're, we're happy about it. We're here to serve. And and, and uh, we are seeing it also with off-price. Uh, we, we started doing kits. Uh, first with kits because it's easier for packaging, right? Just like a bottle of vodka, a bottle of Bloody Mary mix it. We just, you know, give them the garnishes. And so you get a Bloody Mary kit or a mimosa kit. Mm. But now we we actually are uh, a lot of municipalities have, have approved for uh, third-party delivery and, and for pickup single drinks. Um, so we, we actually have some really great packaging we've just found. We're doing uh, we're rolling that out, and so uh, yeah, people are getting alcohol drinks. Uh, you know, Monday through Thursday to go. It's just it's it's a big part of our business. We're really investing in that because it's, it's a key part of different differentiation for us in terms of brunch concepts. Um, the biggest ones out there aren't full bar uh, like we are, and uh, a lot of them aren't even in all of their locations. So it's something that we're, uh, you know, we're going to continue to lean into. Yeah, that's great. I think, um, you know, here here in Georgia, a few years ago, they had what was called or labeled, um, I think colloquially as uh, the mimosa bill, which yeah. was, can can we get sales of alcohol before noon? And Right, on Sundays, and, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, on Sundays. And, and and so in all my life, I don't think that there was an easier vote to, to have <laughs> because I'm like, right. obviously, yes. Um, yeah. But now they, they've made it here. Uh, I don't know how it is in you know, within your footprint that, but they made it permanent. You, you, you're able to do off-prem sales permanently, um, which is pretty great. So that bodes really well for concepts that are alcohol forward or uh, alcohol complementary, which maybe mm-hmm. is a better way of saying. Right. Um, yeah. So there is this, there is this other, some folks are saying a- epidemic or pandemic, which I think is more alarmist, uh, verbiage, but it's with labor and, um, it, it is on the fr- forefront of every leader's mind right now. How do you think we approach the issue, uh, one, of minimum wage, but two, not being able to get people to come back or even, you know, apply for jobs? How do you begin to even tackle that? Yeah, I mean, there's it, we're definitely seeing it. Um, and I think it, it, it's it's not a singular solution. I think you got to tackle it from a lot of different angles. You know, one, you got to make the compensation better for people. Um, and so... You know, we, we actually are, you know, a smaller company. We just crossed 75 units. Um, but we're actually looking at things like adding 401k. We're actually looking at developing 401k program for, you know, for our system, cafes, and, uh, you know, just, just trying to make our compensation package more holistic, do a better job of, you know, recruiting people and training them and developing them. I mean, I think I mentioned, you know, I started off as a restaurant manager myself uh, almost 30 years ago. So, you know, for me, it's, 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 it's ingrained in me to develop a culture where we want to develop people. I remember when I went to my first general conference at Taco Bell and I, the president of Taco Bell at the time, his name was John Martin, was on stage talking about the importance of developing people and how he had started his career off as a general manager of a, of a dollar concept. And I thought to myself, I wonder if one day if Oliver can become president of a brand, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so, uh, but, but Taco Bell at that point and other brands that worked for really develop a culture of developing people. And so I think that's one of the things is, is, is making sure that for the people you have, you have a great conversation and you have a path for them to develop, you know, themselves and their career if they choose to do that. And, you know, because the restaurant industry has been amazing to me and it's been amazing to a lot of people. And, and I think um, sometimes, you know, the, the restaurant industry gets a bad rap, you know, in terms of, you know, an hourly person and just, you know, flipping burgers or whatever. But there can be real career, meaningful careers for uh, with done the right way. So. The second, you know, that's the kind of second part of it. 
And I think we just need to make it easier for people, you know, to apply and to, and to be interviewed. Uh, I was just looking at some technology where um, when someone applies, they immediately get to uh, a text message that gives them options um, to schedule their interview rather than having to wait for the, for the resume to be you know, reviewed by somebody and then the manager having to wait to the shifts over to go through the resumes, call them and leave a voicemail and get just like, let's just make it easier for people that are really interested um, to get, you know, to get the job and get through that process, right? Because you can lose a lot of time and, and then you lose candidates to other, you know, to other places or, or maybe they just lose interest. So, you know, that's the other part of it as well. Yeah. I mean, culture plays a big role in this um, as well. So, I mean, so you mentioned going through the resumes and everything. I think that's been one of the issues facing uh, the industry is you have managers who have so many things to do in a day. And then you add on having to sift through applications, reach out to people, book times. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's a reason why this is a full-time job for one or many people in an organization. Um, And so it's no wonder it's really tough to, to, one, uh, identify good talent because who really has the time? I mean, you could spend uh, an entire week interviewing people. Right. Um, so there's got to be better ways for that. But I do think it starts with culture. And I, if I recall correctly, I, um, I've i heard you speak about that a little bit more. So what's mm-hmm. the culture of another broken egg for hiring and attracting top talent? Yeah, we, you know, we've got a couple of things that are kind of built in advantages of the brand. You know, one, we're only open from seven to two. So, uh, you know, the quality of life is could be really great for us and managers are home, you know, every night with their kids if they, you know, they mm-hmm. want to be because they're they're done by three thirty or four o'clock. Hourly people, if they have if they want to have a second job, they know they're never going to have a conflict at night with that other job because their you know job with us is during the day and then a second nighttime job at maybe a fine dining restaurant or whatever. So, uh, so there's some and some good things there, but but more than that, it's really about you know our our view of of our of our restaurants and our view of our restaurants or cafes is really that they're the place that the money is made. Uh, we need to do everything we can to support them. And we actually, when I got here, we, our, our office was called the home office. And that was kind of strange to me. I was like, well, it's not the home office for the franchisees. It's not their home. It's, and home office seemed a little too uh, comfortable. Mm-hmm. We changed it to the support center. So we're the cafe support center. Something I picked up from my young days. Mm-hmm. Um, but our job is to support, is to support, you know, the stores and the cafes and making money and make and have all the tools they need. The other uh, part of it is, you know, just about making sure people do know what our values are and that we continually talk about our values and recognize people for those. So we uh, we actually didn't have core values. Uh, the brand didn't have core values, like, documented. So we spent some time mm-hmm. after joining, you know, to meet with the executive team and with key franchisees talking about those. We know five core values. We rolled it out as part of an initiative. And we have a recognition program. So maybe I want to hear my door here. But we have a recognition program um, where we pass out these golden tickets representing the five core values. And I go out and I recognize people. They can win a they can win a little bit of a prize. They get a little pin, but it's really more about the mutual recognition. So peer-to-peer recognition. Uh, they can recognize their fellow, you know, employees for service or growth or or, or generosity. Yeah. So real quick for the, for those that are not watching, um, could you hold that up again? Yeah. So it's uh it's, it's a postcard. It's a, a ba- basically like a four by six or a five by seven. And it has like a nice, beautiful gold foil and on it are some, uh, well, one, it's a, a big rooster and it says you rock. And there's some check boxes uh, over results, generosity, growth, integrity, and service. 
Uh, and so it's almost like a, almost like a gift certificate, but like a compliment certificate. So that's pretty rad. That's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I get to give out the golden ones. The other ones are green, uh, but the golden <laughs> you get uh, some little Willy Wonka reference. But we uh, we we have fun with it, and, and we get a uh, once a month we do a drawing for for a gift card to send out uh, to get a little couple pin. But you know, those are all little things, but they add up. You know, they add mm-hmm. up in terms of the culture. You know, that you want to develop, and, and so those some people start talking the language. You know, the language is so important in in, in, a, in an organization. So. Service is one of them, right? The cafe, the, you know, the cafe support center is all about serving. You know, just as as passionate as our employees are about serving, I mean, you really, if you want to, if you're in, in in full service, you really, and you're a good, and you're you're known as like a good server, right? It's because you have you have in, in you know in, in your bones, you're you love serving and you love helping people, making people happy, making their day. Brunch is one of those things, right? People come to connect. And to have fun and and enjoy, you know, Moosa. But um, you know, you got to take pride in serving people and really making their day. And, and so we find that people that are the, the 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 best at their job really have these core these five core values. That's great. Um, I think one of one of the things that compounds uh, the complexity of developing culture is the franchise system by its very nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, from your level down into corporate stores, culture and fostering culture is a bit easier. Um, how do you yeah. get franchisees bought in? I mean, cause let's face it, most franchises, I mean, they, they want to make money. That's why they're in it. Uh, and, and so how do you get them to see that the path to making money is through fostering the culture that you're promising from the top down? Yeah. I mean, it starts honestly with how I interact with them and how my team interacts with them. We have expectations, you know, everything from, you know, simple things like if the franchisee reaches out to you, you reach out, you, you're, you're reaching back out to them within 24 hours. Mm-hmm. You may not have the answer, but you're saying, hey, I got it. I got your message, your email, and I'm working on it. So, um, you know, it is part of the mutual respect. It's how we treat them when they come in for, when they first come in to, for discovery days, or even before they're a franchisee, you know, we'd spend time talking about the art culture, what's important to us. And how they're how they're going to expect to be treated. Uh, we just did our first franchising satisfaction study; it never been done before mm. for this brand. We just did it and got their you know honest feedback. And I and I sent the email out. I said, you know, this is anonymous. It's coming through another company that's going to ask you these questions. It's really important for me to know what we're doing well and what we need to improve on. Um, so you know, I think it's they see it over time. They see it in how you treat them and how you interact with them. Uh, we're doing. We're getting ready for our uh, our convention, our summit in late September. We're actually going to be able to meet in September in Orlando, and we're doing a bunch of awards. And a lot of those awards are around our culture and and the, and the values. And uh, we'll do the sales awards and all that stuff too. But you know, continuing to just demonstrate for them how important it is for us. Um, you know, and, and then there's always a couple of franchisees that are kind of on the leading edge, no matter what the initiative is. And so there certainly are here. Some franchisees that have already been doing an amazing job way way before I was here uh, of building their own cultures within their organizations. So it's celebrating mm-hmm. those folks and sharing those successes with other franchisees. Those are actually sometimes the best thing to do rather than say this is the corporate program. This is like, hey, this is what another franchisee is doing. And that kind of takes off from there usually. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, we, we did something similar, of course, on a smaller scale at Vigor um, a year or so ago where, you know, we have our own values and it's, there's only three, I'm a big believer, the power of three. Um, and I, I had our team rate each other every week, uh, for two months leading up to our year end meeting. 
um, and vote for who exemplified that particular value the most that week. Um, and then we added it all up. And then, of course, we gave out awards for one who was like the rock star right. um, and then a couple runners up. Um, but then I love that you asked for feedback on yourself because I think a lot of leaders can look down and maybe see that uh, as a, I don't want to say selfish, but mm-hmm. they may see it as not that important, you know, because who really cares if the leader thinks he's doing a good job or she. Um, but there's a lot to learn from that. So was there anything surprising in the feedback that struck you as, uh, oh, wow, I never really considered yeah. that? You know, we we actually haven't got the feedback yet. We just uh, sent out the survey uh, about three weeks ago, so I should be getting it back in the next couple weeks. But from doing this in other brands and other roles I've had, I know there will be some surprises. And there'll be some things that don't hurt, you know. I, listen, we, I, I'm, 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 I'm a perfectionist. I want it all to be perfect. Um, but, you know, uh, as I explained, you know, we didn't get a lot of things done last year that we thought we were going to get done because of the pandemic. We, you know, obviously reprioritize a lot of things. So I think, you know, um, we won't be as, as hard on ourselves. It's not so much about, um, you know, what we've done in the past. It's really about getting this feedback and building a plan moving forward. So wherever we are, you know, if there's, if there's 17 things, I think there's 17 questions on there, you know, five of them are, are really need improvement, then building a plan, sharing that, you know, just being open with the franchisee, say, hey, thanks for the feedback. These are the five things, you know, that we're working on. This is how we're going to get there. Let's check back in the year and see if we've made improvement. So, um, yeah, there's there's always there will be a couple of things that'll be that'll that'll hurt, I'm sure, you know, and yeah. that'll, that'll sting. Um yeah, and, but there'll always be, there'll also be some really nice things that'll come out of it too. You'll get some because there's you know an opening for feedback, so you get some good comments as well. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes some people just need to vent it out, you yeah. know. Um, yeah, but no, I think I what's sometimes those yeah those surveys go out at, at the wrong time for somebody. You know, they're going through something, <laughs> and they're just like, "Oops, that was a bad day to ask for that." But but uh, we'll, we'll uh, overall uh, we'll take it and it'll be good. It'll be good for the organization in terms of seeing it and being able to, to see who, who responds to it. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I think any kind of insights, especially when they're anonymous and people feel safe, mm-hmm. um, can only do good so long as the leader's open to uh, not just paying lip service, but absorbing and, and adjusting. And, or maybe, uh, you know, in, in some cases, for some of my feedback, mm-hmm. I addressed it and said, I know this is how it's perceived. Mm-hmm. This is who I am, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, I will do my best to make sure that it's uh, delivered in a different way, but it will still be delivered, you know? Yeah. So for instance, yeah. it was like, I'm the one in the room that's always like, more, more, like do more, <laughs> like break the mold, you know? Yeah, and right. and sometimes that's seen as being dissatisfied. Right. And so it's a little bit of a, how do I reframe it, but not let go that piece of who I am as a leader? Yeah, um, that's, yeah that's, that's, honestly, that's been one of the, my, biggest challenges as a leader is, is, you know, knowing to push, but not feeling so not feeling bad that you're pushing beyond, you know, what people, cause I, cause you know, your experience sounds like some of mine, you can always, people can always do more than they think initially. Most people, most yeah. people 99% of people um, think, Oh, I'm not sure we can do that. And then it's really that maximizer, that person that's willing to, to really push that gets it done. Yeah. So that's a, that's a tough thing for a leader. Um, but somebody's got to do it, you know, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Someone has to be that person. And, uh, yeah. I think that is one of the leader's jobs. Um, so you've mentioned a few little bits about, uh, some newer technologies, uh, specifically the one with applying for jobs and how yeah. that interaction starts. Um, but technology is a, a very broad subject, 
but one that is also on the tips of a lot of tongues. Um, so before the pandemic, you had some people saying that you really have to adopt technology. I, I was one of them. I certainly did not predict the pandemic. Um, but, you know, a year before I was saying, guys, you know, it's not a matter of if technology, it, it is when and it's coming. Right. And if you're not already looking, you're you might be done. You, you might not be doing well. So right. you, you've adopted and integrated a lot of technology very rapidly. Um, wh- what do you, where do, where do you think we go with technology as an industry? What's coming around the pike? Yeah. You know, it's, it's so much um, is happening. It's really a, you know, a full-time job. In fact, we just, we just uh, uh, hired a new uh, senior director of it that's elevated the position because, you know, we, you know, as a smaller company, you're, we're trying to figure out, okay, what can we get by with, you know, but it's like, we have to invest in this role. We have yeah. to be somebody that, that has a lot of experience because so much has happened so quickly and we need to get ahead of it right now. We were playing a lot of catch up at the last year. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think what we're seeing is a couple of things. One, in terms of our, in terms of a restaurant environment, you need uh, technology that can be easily integrated. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we have an old point of sale system or old register system legacy. It was great. 25 years ago when this brand started, very durable, but very close, you know, and so it wasn't cloud-based. It wasn't uh, easy mm-hmm. to integrate other things into it. So that is, you know, we're, we're testing a new point of sale system right now that we'll pull out later this year that is open. And so as we come up with pay at the table or a new loyalty program or online ordering, or, you know, those things will more seamlessly integrate. So, you, you know, it's really about um, making it seamless for the customer and also for the employees, right? So they don't have to, Wait a second. I got an online order on this pack on this iPad. Now I got to enter the order on the register. I mean, it's just it's crazy stuff that we're having to do because we're not integrated. Right. So I really think that's the key is um, because all these you know all these smaller little companies have these great ideas coming up with it, but you have to make how does it you know all feed together into the bigger ecosystem. So that's one of the biggest challenges right now. We're working on. We've got some great solutions uh, that uh, I think will be coming out later this year. And, and, and then the big other one really for us is, um, you know, getting a single source of truth for our customers, mm-hmm. which is part of the integration thing. But it's really, again, we've got people ordering through DoorDash or Uber Eats or through our own online ordering platform. We have people coming into us. People making reservations on Yelp, uh, which is our reservation system. We have people that signed up for us on email through Fishbowl. So it's like we've got all these different data points. It could be the same exact person, but we don't know that. Yeah. And so really, we're spending a lot of time just kind of integrating that from the customer side, not from the in-cafe in side, but from the customer side, so we can get one single source of truth of our customers, understand who our most valuable customers are, what they want, how we can make it better for them, how we can drive that behavior, so how we can market to them in a smarter way, and, and something that, you know, is is uh, more of a conversation. And so that's really what we're focusing on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, we're, we're almost up on time here, and I want to be respectful of your day, because... This whole, the whole topic of technology integration and what in the future of it is so huge. And uh, luckily, we'll have some guests on. Maybe, maybe the new director might want to come yeah. on and talk about it because, okay. man, we could unpack that for hours. Um, you know, from like you said, CRM to review sites to third-party delivery to online ordering. I got to say, out of all of the systems that I have uh, had touches with or interactions with. Um, they don't pay my salary or any kind of money to me unless uh, unless they want to. So if you're listening, Olo, Seth, Mr. Hall, write me a check. Um, <laughs> They're fantastic. But they are fantastic. They were built open. They were built mm-hmm. knowing that they had to integrate. And so many other systems haven't been. 
Um, so I, I love them so much for that. And I think they, they, at least in their world have made things easier. Yeah. Um, and, and I hope some of the other companies take note, but, yeah. um, yeah. last question for you, then I'll let you get back to your day. Uh, what's the future of breakfast? Uh, it's been difficult in the past. Um, you've, you've rock and rolled and it's, you know, things are trending up. Uh, what's coming? What, what's, what's coming for yeah, another broken I mean, egg? I, you know, it's, it's really, um, an exciting year because not only are we seeing all these parts of the puzzle come together with increase of off-premise and increase of alcohol, but just more uh, interest from other franchisees, you know, other multi-unit franchisees, more sophisticated franchisees mm. now coming in. So the, the ability to scale more quickly is is is, uh, is on the horizon. We've signed a couple multi-unit franchisees already this year for future development. They already have sites in development that will open this year, which is amazing. So, yeah, it's a big year. We finished last year at 71 cafes. We're going to open 18 this year. So wow. on a percentage basis, it's huge. And, um, you know, that's that's why I came here was for that vision. And this is actually exceeding some of the expectations I had. So I think the, the concept is going to continue to grow. I mean, I think, you know, more broad than just another broken egg, it's not just about us. It's about, you know, the idea of brunch and the idea of socialization. You know, I think our brand and our day part really fit what people want to do again, right? Now they want to get yeah. out and see friends. They want to be outside. They want to socialize. They want to enjoy, indulge. Uh, we've got great food and drinks to do that. So I think that kind of the convergence of, of the economics of our brand and what's happening with consumer behavior over the next couple of years is really a nice convergence. So I'm very excited about what we've got ahead of us. Yeah, that's a very exciting thing. I mean, that's almost a 25% increase in size. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, well, well done. Hey, look, it's been amazing talking to you. Thanks for all the insights and being uh, uh, candid. Yeah, it's been fun. Thank you for reaching out. It's great. I look forward to hearing from your other guests as well. So I'll, I'll tune in. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Paul. We'll talk real soon. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. If you love what we served up, please follow us at Vigor Branding on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Medium. Fork Tales is produced by the team at Vigor. Audio and video post productions provided by Zencaster. Music performed by Jet Trash and licensed through musicbed.com. Joseph handles his own hair, makeup, and stunts. Copyright 2003 to 2021, Vigor Graphic Design, LLC. All rights reserved.